This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bad Movies We Love. I am your host, Nick Scheist. Whether you've been with me since the beginning or if this is your first time here, welcome to Season 2, Episode 9. If you listen to the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at Bad Movies We Love on Twitter and on Instagram now. That's Bad Movies We Love, L-U-V. And now that the housekeeping is taken care of, I was joined for this episode by a friend of the show, Miss Lauren Wilkins, and her and I both have an affinity for the Alien franchise, and as you'll find out when you listen to this show, we both kind of have a thing for underdogs as well, and so when she told me she wanted to talk about the nearly forgotten Alien Resurrection from 1997, it was all systems go. Cigarettes have become even more popular in the future, surprisingly. I will admit that this movie isn't great. If you're like a really like uh, continuity stickler, you're going to look at that stuff and be like, this doesn't make any sense. Like it's legit an infomercial for some like knives or something. There's guns and Ripley's back and hey, Winona Ryder's here. Oh, look, the queen, she's here too. They're going to have a rematch. Oh, we're not some greedy corporation. You know, you're the military. I don't know if that's <laughs> such a great comparison you want to make. <laughs> you're definitely not going to weaponize this super powerful alien. Sure thing, buddy. Um, you know, I feel it. Like, I would also be that person freaking out. He's got definitely a xenomorph fetish. They're slimy and, like, their heads are phallic and stuff. His character sucks in this but in a good way. I assume he has bad breath. Sorry, you're the one that's gotta die so we can all escape. Three, two, one. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this Tuesday evening. It's Tuesday, yesterday was Memorial Day. So yes, it is Tuesday. Thank you for taking the time to sit with me and talk about a movie that I feel is kind of in the forgotten realm of the Alien franchise, but that's Alien Resurrection. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to uh, chat about this movie with you because it's literally I was doing my Alien ranking the other day and I realized it's Alien, Aliens, and then this movie show. Sure. Which I'm sure is contentious for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I could. I, you know what? I could see that though, because three is also one of the films in the franchise that's kind of a curveball. Where I've heard that the, like the extended cut is a better version of that film, but I always liked the original Alien Three as well. But I'm also just a fan of the franchise, and so kind of anything in the world, I'll be a little bit more favorable of. Uh, but watching three, the most recent time I watched it, I still liked it. 
I know a lot of people did not like Prometheus, even though I did. And I know Covenant was very contentious as well. So, I mean, having this as high as third in your rankings, I don't see a problem with that. But I'm curious, you you know, (laughs) you, I think we met through Donald. I mean, we met on Twitter, but I'm pretty sure you did an episode of Donald's show and that was The Lost World, right? Yes, I did, which was also a blast. That was so fun. Uh, yeah, and that's Donald from You, Me, and a Movie for anybody that's listening. That's a podcast that I did as well, like in the, maybe like the third episode of that show. Um, but Donald's a really good guy, good host, and I enjoyed doing his show. He did the first episode of this show with me when we talked about oh, Roadhouse. that's awesome. So that's kind of how we're connected, but we've never really sat down and like talked one-on-one. So I'm very excited to get the opportunity to do this with you. And I want to ask you, in your decision to talk about this movie in particular i guess like how did you arrive at that decision and what was it that made you bring this to the table for this particular show um just i think the fact that i really have a lot of fun with this movie and i think it is maligned um sometimes unfairly i i will admit that this movie isn't great when i rewatched it i'm like <laughs> oh yeah josh sweden who is the writer for this movie he shines through the good, the bad, and the ugly, like this is, you know, his dialogue, you hear it. And so it does have faults, but for the most part, I find it just really fun. And it's an exciting, tightly, uh, you know, tightly knit, well-paced film that I just have a lot of fun with. And there's a number of great set pieces that I really enjoy and always go back to every time. So yeah, upon rewatching it this time, I was incredibly impressed by how much of the stuff was done with practical effects. And mm-hmm. it's the vast majority of it. Almost none of it is done with CGI unless it absolutely had to be done that way. And part of that was the budget and part of that was some uh, creative decision making. But we'll get into a little bit of that later. I'm curious, did you rewatch this with this show in mind or was this something that you watch so regularly that, you know, you know it like the back of your hand. I did rewatch it specifically for the for this show, but this also is a movie that I've seen many, many times uh, on cable reruns. I rented it a bunch it, it a bunch as a kid, um, and I own a copy, you know, <laughs> as an adult. So um, I've just seen it a lot. This was one that I have the old quadrilogy alien box set of dvds before they made the blu-ray with all like the Mm. nice features on it but this was also something where i didn't realize that we had the uh the stars streaming subscription and it's running out in a month or so and i was like oh look at that conveniently this movie's on stars so let me might, (laughs) might as well go on use it while I'm still paying for it and yes. browse some of the other titles they have on there. And they have the whole alien franchise. I think at least one through four, I don't know about yeah. uh, Prometheus or covenant, but it's a good place that if you don't own the DVDs like we do, and you want to go somewhere and watch through the entire franchise, that's a good place to do it. And it had probably been at least a decade since I had seen this movie, but. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so how long it had it been for you in between this watch and your most recent previous one? I mean, probably just a couple years, if that. I mean, I know I've seen it on TV at least once <laughs> before that. So, um, but it was interesting this time around, really paying attention to it and 
jotting down like this, yes, this is something I really like about it. This is something I don't like about it. Um, and just paying, paying a bit more attention to it as opposed to just having it on the background. Yeah. It's definitely a really good movie for just like putting it on in the background. Cause it's like, if you know, the story beats, like, you know, when you need to pay attention to see the fun stuff and you can kind of zone yeah. out some of the other things. And this is a movie that I, I feel like it, it struggles from a few things, but namely its predecessors are all good. You know, Alien, great horror movie from the 70s. You get action horror in the sequel and Aliens. And then Alien 3, as much as people may not like it, still has a very different tone and its own unique identity within the universe of these stories. And I know that that one is also a little bit on the borderline of, you know, whether or not it's a quote unquote bad movie. I mean, the 6.2 from IMDb, that's kind of in the realm where I would understand it. Like, for me, that's totally fine. Uh, I'm surprised to see that its Metascore is a 63, which is more positive than a lot of movies we've done yeah. on this show. But looking at, uh, excuse me, the Rotten Tomatoes has a 53%, so much, much worse from critics. <laughs> and then the audience score is a 39%. So, oh. <laughs> and that's that's with 250,000 reviews as well so wow. at least 250,000 ratings so that's a pretty far fall from yeah. where i see it on imdb but for the most part i think this is a movie that well i recognize that it's still fun it's not its predecessors and it's never going to be no no but, no yeah but it has an enjoyable pace to it and i found that it was actually like an interesting kind of like story evolution of a mix of the films that it came before it. Like it looks yes. a lot like three in moments where it's kind of just like very dumbed down, very gritty. It almost looks like they're on a flying prison or they're inside yeah. a flying prison many times. The set uh, design is fantastic in this film. Everything is so slimy and grimy. It's it, and it, it does capture, I think what three was going for as well. Yeah. And then I think back to like what was one and how they wrote the characters. And it's like these like in one, they're kind of just like blue collar workers. Right. They're out there salvaging or mining. They're doing terraforming, something like that. And these characters are just like everyday people. And then in the second one, you get some of that here in the fourth movie where you get a bigger corporation involved. You get some military interest in the application of the xenomorph species. and I think what I liked most is there's the element of the mercenaries, whereas like two is the military. So you get a lot of like strategy, a lot of firepower, a lot of manpower. In that case, you get the tank, you get the the hunter killer. I don't know what it's actually called, but it looks like that thing from Terminator. And yeah. in this, it's like these guys are like they're driving like an old jalopy of a ship. They're kind of like a ragtag crew of misfits. So I kind of appreciated that more that it didn't set out to just retell the same story it's like how can we carve out our own niche within this alien universe and make it uh something that is unique and still enjoyable and you know i had i had read a little bit about the the problems securing sigourney weaver's services for this movie because at this point you know it's almost 20 years down the line from yeah. the time the first alien is made and 
she's already been in three of them and she's explored like almost every corner of what this character can be so she wasn't initially even going to be in this but yeah you know they paid her pretty well so she showed up Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yes as she is worth pay her what she's worth absolutely (laughs) yeah i mean i'm glad that she did it because there is some interesting character stuff that unfolds with ripley like even though they had to kind of change course of like this is where we wanted to go with this this is where we ended up going but i feel like they got a better overall story by bringing ripley back and making it her story still so we'll get to that in a little bit later but um I want to take a look at the trailer because I always go back and watch the trailer to see what the movie was trying to tell us at the time. I mean, this is 1997, so it's, what, 18 years down the line from Alien. They've already pretty pretty much milked the property for what they could at that point. It's uh, it's coming after three, which was not super critically well-received or well-received at the box office either. So there's a lot of questions of why would you even make a fourth movie at this point yeah so I, I always like to check out the trailer and see what they were trying to sell us and most of the time i haven't seen the trailer in probably as long as it's been since i've seen the movie itself so let's take a look at that make sure i have the right window open before we get to the trailer it's time for a quick word from our sponsor whether you're getting into a game of pickup basketball on a military space cruiser 300 years in the future, or running for your life from a xenomorph down a suspiciously familiar corridor, you know that quality footwear is essential in surviving whatever life throws at you. You wouldn't be caught dead wearing some hideous clodhoppers on a night out, so why be caught dead because a heavy pair of boots dragged you down to the bottom of a submerged kitchen? At Cosmos, Big Time, Space Boots, and more, you can browse a massive selection of the latest tactical yet fashion-forward footwear and more accessories than you'll know what to do with. Their prices are so good, you'll swear you're getting smugglers' rates. So make sure to check out Cosmos, Big Time, Space Boots, and more. You can find them online or visit their new satellite location orbiting Thetis. And away we go. These were very, very hard to come by. So was our cargo. Whatever you got going on here ain't exactly approved by Congress. It's a military operation. Really? Who are you? Ripley Ellen, Lieutenant First Class, number 36706. Ellen Ripley. They're giving away quite a lot. They are, yeah. You're a thing, a construct. They grew you in a lab. I mean, I guess four films deep. We just gotta show our hand and hope somebody likes it. Yeah. You wanna tell us what this is? I remember this trailer now that I'm seeing it. She'll breed. You'll die. Ripley died trying to wipe the species out. I'm not anxious to see her taking up her old hobby. I can feel it. Definitely showcasing Winona Ryder's presence in this, though. Yes. I can hear it moving. I can tell why I was into this, for sure. Like, this trailer definitely grabbed me. I died. 
it's kind of got a look and feel of like Event Horizon as well, kind of futuristic but dirty. Back to home base. Yeah. What's home base? Earth. Oh, this trailer's great. <laughs> She does. She does. Good for her. I mean, yeah, she, she yeah, I was one of those like action stars that didn't quite ever translate it beyond this into like more action roles. But Sigourney Weaver is such a great actress that her presence in this alone does lend it a lot of credibility that it wouldn't otherwise mm -hmm. get. And we had talked a little bit earlier about where this movie was initially headed. And from my understanding of reading some of the notes was that this was actually supposed to be Newt's story and that they were going to, <laughs> she was going to play the Ellen Ripley character and that actress that played Newt, who I can't think of her name right now. She had retired from acting, so they weren't going to get her, but I mean, you know, it's however many years down the line. It's 10 years later after Aliens at this point. So they don't need her. They could have recast it. But the yeah. studio had some complaints because they're like, well, if we're going to give you money to make an Alien movie, you better have Ripley in it because no one's going to come see this movie if it's not her story. And so it's an interesting dynamic between like wanting to carve out this space for a story within this universe and tell it with familiar characters and familiar setting and all this stuff. And then the studio, with their investment, they don't want to stray too far from a formula that they know at least produces profitable returns at that point. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place. But I still think that it manages to be a very entertaining film regardless and watching Agreed. it last night i still had a lot of fun with it i gotta grab my notes because they're somewhere yeah <laughs> <laughs> in looking at the trailer they do give away a ton so they do i was actually surprised to see i mean they give away the fact that ridley uh is cloned that they're building an alien army that this crew of i don't know they call them renegades that this like crew of people is trapped within this vessel. So they kind of like let you know all of the important plot points. And they, the only thing they don't show you is what happens at the end. They give you basically yeah. everything for that. And then they save, you know, the majority of the action sequences. So you don't really get too much given away of that. But I mean, they even show the queen in the trailer. Yeah. too. So they're like, hey, if you liked aliens, then you're going to like this because there's guns and Ripley's back. And hey, Winona Ryder's here. Oh, look, the queen, she's here, too. They're going to have a rematch. So, yeah, they really like packed a lot into that. That mm -hmm. I mean, it is like very 90s to have that kind of trailer mentality of we're going to have the guy doing the voiceover. We're going to have, you know, all of the key elements like presented to you. So, you know exactly what you're getting when you walk into the theater. But is that something where you want to see that in the trailer? I mean, because I would imagine that both you and I were already three alien films deep at this point. It doesn't really yeah. matter what's in the trailer. Like we already like the franchise as long as it says alien. 
we're probably going to show up and yep. watch the movie. So is this something where, I mean, you said you remember the trailer, but even though it's a, the kind of trailer that would make us want to see it, was this something that like was on your radar before it was planned? Or has this come like when you were a little bit younger and it's just, hey, Aliens coming out this week? Yeah, this was these movies released. Um, I mean, I was born in 86. So in like late 90s, you know, I was preteen teenager. And I had mainly seen these films via renting them at the video store. Um, and so uh, in 97, I would have been, uh, you know, 12, 13, something like that. And my parents were always pretty open to letting us watch kind of whatever we wanted for That's the most nice. part, which I really appreciate them doing that because I experienced horror at a young age and fell in love with the mm -hmm. genre because of that. Um so yeah, this was definitely a movie. I would not have seen it in the theaters, but I remember the trailer now that I've seen it, uh, saw it again. And yeah, this would have been, I was invested like fully, like it looked kick-ass. I, this is something I was going to rent as soon as it was available <laughs> to me to be able to rent it. <laughs> and since you had mentioned like the horror genre, I mean, obviously alien is iconic horror. It's like a haunted house movie in space. Aliens definitely shifts that tone into more of like an action centric world. And then Alien 3 kind of strips it back down, makes it more of like a horror survival movie again. And then this one kind of still is like straddling a lot of genres. But do you look at this as a horror movie that has action or an action movie that's set in a horror setting? Oh, that's a good question. This might fall under more it's an action movie that has a horror setting because is it is very action movie forward from the dialogue and the the where it's set and just all the moving pieces scream action movie and the pacing involved in it um but it's very much a horror you know set dressing in that regard because they're scary monsters <laughs> that are coming after our protagonists Yeah absolutely and the the intro credits for this movie are it's just like a weird amalgam of like flesh and teeth and eyes yeah. and so if you didn't know like if you didn't see the trailer and you're going to see this you would be like oh wow this is this is very different than the other alien films that i've seen at this point and it would set you off on a different foot and because i hadn't seen the trailer in so long like it really was jarring. I was like, oh my God. I was like, they're really leaning heavily into the sort of like gene splicing elements of this story. Yeah. And I think the first shot is like, we're going kind of like into the spaceship and then they have the young adolescent Ripley like in her test tube mm -hmm. as they're growing her. She ages. And then that first scene is still them doing the, uh, the chest surgery to remove the alien that's embedded in her. And like that scene is done almost exclusively with practical effects. I think the laser is the only thing that's really done mm -hmm. digitally and like the fleshiness of it, the griminess of it. It's a scene that when Prometheus gets made later on is one of the most jarring scenes in that film is when Numi Rapace is in the automated surgery machine and it's removing that creature so from her. Oh yeah, my exactly. god. Exactly. So like the so bone, gross. <laughs> the bones for like the good horror is there. Yes. And yes. 
I was, like I said earlier, I was so surprised by like how good the practical effects were in this movie. Like everything was done with that. Everything's got that like shiny alien glossiness to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't realize maybe how much I appreciated that for this film, or at least what that contributed to my enjoyment uh, of the film itself. Yeah. And there's, you can definitely see with this movie they, like you said, they mainly use practical effects. You can tell when they're CG because it has aged at this point and it still yeah. looks good, but it's definitely aged. And I like that they use the practical effects more because it doesn't take you out as much um, as, as opposed to when you see the CG alien on screen and it's like, oh yeah, that's 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 looking great. Um, so it, I'm really glad that they did do some really cool practical effects as well. I want to ask you about the the story itself, because I think what gets lost in the shuffle is partially like we talked about that, like alien is iconic. Aliens is iconic. Three has its own strengths and was kind of like the tail end of where the initial series was going at that point. Like it's still Ripley, still the original character. And then by the time we get to this film, you know, she's a clone, so it's not even really Ripley in the way that we know. So it's not exactly the character's same story. But I did like the idea that, you know, they found her and they've been working on cloning her for a while and developing this and like the greediness of the military to want to do something like this and kind of the cost that you see later in the film when she is coming face to face with the reality of what cloning her meant. And in the notes, I had read that that was one of the main reasons that she chose to come to come back and do this film other than the $11 million. She, she read that scene and was like, okay, this makes sense for like this character and for me to do this. And in her portrayal of Ripley here, it's very different. Like you're offering her a script where it's like, yeah, you're kind of Ripley, but not really. You're really just number eight and you have some of her memories. But I love that Sigourney Weaver plays this character with this kind of arrogance that she never has in any of her other portrayals. Like, especially in the first one, she's very vulnerable. And the second one, it's like, she's coming into her own. She like breaks out into like being an action star And then in the third one, it's her determination to like make sure that this thing doesn't get out. That is like the driving force behind this. So by the time we arrive at this version of the character, she's faster. She's stronger. She's I don't know if she's necessarily smarter, but she has the the hive mind memories of the xenomorphs. So she has knowledge that she wouldn't otherwise have. And I really loved seeing her kind of like just be that confident character and they're like the way they gave her the jumpsuit they dressed her she's got the big boots like even when she's playing basketball nails. It's like, yeah her, her. <laughs> I, I was like why are her nails painted like they did that when she came out or are they just I'm, naturally that dark i was color? one i was wondering yeah no i like to my personal theory is that that is a side effect of the xenomorph like dna or whatever i don't know that's just my i i don't think anyone's painting them i think that's just how her nails look now and i'm fine with that that's what I had to just like reconcile with. I yeah. was like, okay, she's coming out of this cocoon, like she's manicured, but 
Okay, yeah. maybe that's just the alien DNA. They don't want her to have long nails. And, they, you know, they got color to them, so that's nice, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm glad that we both looked at that. Yeah. And I know that's one of the biggest sticking points, I think, for this film, is a lot of people don't like the Ripley clone thing. They don't like what they did with her character. I really like it. I think it's a really fun take on the character she's basically playing an entirely different character because it's not ripley it's 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 not the ripley that we know it's an amalgamation of ripley and the hive mind from the xenomorphs and i think it's really cool how they play with it in this movie and i enjoy it so i'm glad they went with it yeah i think it also gets stuck between that being interesting and that also not being like the way that the movie moves. Cause like you said, like it's paced to these action beats and they want to hit those beats. Like they want the fight scene. They want the chase scene. They want the, the underwater scene, which is fantastic still. It's so good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I heard that a couple of people almost drowned doing that scene. So, you know, oh that they, they put in the authentic work there, but it, it doesn't leave a ton of space to really, let it be Ripley's story in the way of her like growing into her own memory, but then also the memory of this species that she's been crossbred with. So they kind of like, they, they toy with it a little bit where she's like, Oh, I can feel it. Like I can feel them moving behind my eyes. And she has some key moments in the film where her knowledge helps the story move along a lot. So it's almost like it was kind of written backwards in order to like move Mm. the story along. We're going to have this element rather than, Hey, let's focus on what it's like for her character to be growing like this while being a prisoner, you know, and they kind of joke with her early. They're like, she says that you can't train them. You know, you're not going to be able to make it like do tricks. And they said something flippantly like, Oh, well, we're doing it with you. So (laughs) to see that, like, she doesn't really get the same kind of revenge arc that the aliens do. But that brings me to one of, if not my favorite scenes in the movie that I think still holds up very well is when, what is his name? The creepy scientist who's kind of Brad Dorf, Brad Dorf. Yes. Gediman, who is like, yes, he's got definitely a xenomorph fetish. Oh, he totally, he is one of my favorite characters in this movie. I love him so much. Yeah, he's great, but I mean, he's, you know, he's got the look. He's like smarmy, but clearly intelligent. He has that first interaction with Ripley where they're in the mess hall. And he's like, oh, no, you have to use a fork. And she says, fuck instead. And yeah, other guy comes and sits down and like that guy just needs to establish like I'm the alpha asshole in this and I'm the real bad guy. I'm the one you need to worry about. But get him in. He is he's got the the xenomorphs that have hatched um, after they've hijacked these poor workers to just feed them to the face huggers. He's got the xenomorphs that have hatched and there's three of them in this cage and he's working on training them more or less. For some reason, he decides to like lean in real close and start kissing the glass and very much like sexualize. And it's like, okay, I mean, they're weird. They're slimy and like their heads are phallic and stuff. And I get it. Like you're finally like embracing uh, H.R. Geiger's like real nastiness in that design. Yes. Uh, And you got one character who's like super into it. But in that scene, as he's like trying to train them with uh, the liquid nitrogen pumps, where the two of them turn on the other one 
mm-hmm. and use the blood as a method of escape from the capsule. I was like, this is one of the best moments in all the alien movies. It is. It's, it's one of my so favorites. great. It's and it's like, come on, they really didn't think to Z like they couldn't xenomorph proof the cage. Like that's like that should have been number one. But it's so cool that I like let it go because it's like it's such a great moment. And it reminds me also of um in Jurassic Park when uh they talk about how you know the with the pack in the original mm. cage with the velociraptors, how they killed all like there was one alpha that killed all but two of them to you know, basically like have a plan of this is how we're going to eventually get out of here. And they did, they, two of them turned on the one. They're like, sorry, you're the one that's got to die so we can all escape. Mm. Uh, I think what I love about that so much though, is that there is a focus on the intelligence of the xenomorph species where up until that point, like in the first one, like sure, it's a killing machine, it hunts them down, but they're like in a confined space. Like there's only so much that they can do. Like, even though they're, they're humans, they know their ship, they can outsmart it. This thing is very lethal and they make all of the classic like horror movie mistakes of splitting up, etc. Plus you have evil Ash Android, like working against them to kind of make it harder. And then in the second one, it's more of just uh, volume. Like there's so many of them that it's overwhelming and you're introduced to the queen and kind of like how the reproductive cycle of the xenomorphs work. And you realize that like the queen is intelligent. And so like you would equate it to like a hive of ants or bees or other insects that are guided by uh hive mentality where there's one queen that gives out directions. The workers just sort of follow. And so this is the first time that you see on an individual level the intelligence that they have. The xenomorphs learn that, hey, if we do this again, he's going to hit us with the liquid nitrogen again. And then they devise a plan to escape and they escape. And I just found it really fascinating that they finally acknowledge that like as individual creatures, like these are intelligent beings beyond the scope of what they had given us uh, up until that point. Because even in the third one, it's like the dog alien. So they change the way that yeah. it moves. They change the shape <laughs> of the body. But it goes back to just being one of them that's hunting them in this confined space and kind of relies on that same mechanism where this made me feel like the alien, although it falls into some of those trappings later in the film, it still told me that like this is a smarter creature and a more interesting creature than we've given it credit for to this point. Because if this thing can think and problem solve, on that level, it's a significantly greater threat than we've seen thus far from Alien. Exactly. Yeah, agreed. And that I agree. That's why that scene is so cool. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I still do. I was like, I was waiting for that. I was like, oh, I know this one is coming. And I forgot that the dude was like making out with the window. I was like, okay, that's yeah, that's creepy. He deserves to die when he dies. But yes, <laughs> uh, there's there's a scene. I don't know if it's like right before that or right around the same time where we find that uh, Ripley also has at least low level acid blood. It's not to the same degree, but she figures it out and she's reveal is so cool. And Winona Ryder has broken into her prison cell using the the breath spray, which I thought was an interesting 
choice because so many other movies especially around the time have had made the progression to like hey it's the future we do retinal scanning or we do dna scanning this was like oh it's the breath of the person that unlocks all the key locks so i thought that was interesting but then i didn't understand why winona's robot had like all these different breath sprays on her keychain. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where she got that from, but she was prepared, I guess. She like was. she had a mission and she knew what she was going to do. <laughs> She's been planning this for a while. She must have met this general some other time. Uh, <laughs> but it, regardless of that, she finds a way to get in to the prison cell where they're holding the uh, version eight of Ripley and she's there to kill her. And they end up talking a little bit as like, you know, Ripley figures it out. And when she stabs the dagger through her hand is when you see that, okay, she's got, well, it's in the basketball scene where you see her blood dripping through, but uh, Ripley's become aware that she has this acidic blood. And as the dagger is like stuck through her hand, it's starting to dissolve the blade a little bit. And then I don't know if it was just through happenstance or the director maybe not speaking English when he was making this, which I heard was going on. So that's got to be tough to make a movie, especially like a Hollywood movie where it's all, you know, English speaking actors. So she gets cut through the hand and then she starts touching Winona on the face with the hand that has been stabbed. So again, I'm like, wait a second. Like, is she not bleeding all over her right now? Like what exactly is happening? They seem to lose continuity on yeah, just a little bit. Hand wound. And it's like, okay, <laughs> forget about that. But then she needs to break out of her cell. And she's like, oh, yeah, wait, I have this hand wound where I've been bleeding acid blood. Let me rub this on the door control or whatever. And she pops out and escapes. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, did they like write the scene of like she gets cut in her hand and then uses that and they just kind of like filled in the blanks in between? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. I would have to guess. Yeah. But since we were talking about the guy with the bad breath who opens the door, I don't even know why it's. I said it's bad. I assume he has bad breath just because of his character. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's I would, Dan, I would buy Dan it. Hedaya, who is the, I, guess, I don't know, is he the general? I think he's a general. Yes. Yes. And he's great in this role. I love when, I think it's him or someone else in his, in his uh, you know, military unit who they're talking about how like, Oh, we're not some greedy corporation. You know, we're going to, we're going to do a great job with these creatures. It's like, you know, you're the military. I don't know if that's (laughs) such a great comparison you want to make. (laughs) We're not not that we're United military systems. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You're definitely (laughs) not going to weaponize this super powerful alien. Sure thing, buddy. Uh, But yeah, Dan Hedaya is, a very interesting character actor and like as soon as you see him on screen i felt like a shift in what the tone of the movie wanted mm-hmm. to be i'm like okay now i'm starting to see like some more of the like joss whedon bones like is yes. this supposed to be a comedy because like there's certain moments where it like it almost wants to go there like but it doesn't quite get there and then after this you know uh firefly and serenity he uh, we yes. goes on to make that and basically takes the formula that he has in this movie and then like removes the horror and just puts it yep. keeps keeps the sci-fi keeps sort of like the renegades keeps the busted old ship and that like style and it works very very well but with yeah. Hedaya here it's like mm, like I don't know that he was necessarily the right choice to like put in 
a movie that you want to be like taken as like serious horror. But he's such a good character actor that like I'm happy to see him there. I agree. He's great. And uh, that is one of the biggest things I paid attention to and really noticed this time around um, rewatching it is that this, as other people have pointed out, this was very much the introduction of the crew of the Betty was very much um, a prototype for Firefly that he would then go on to create several years later. Um, And it's very, very obvious, especially uh, the character of Elgin is very much a sort of Mal prototype and Joner played by Ron Perlman is very much supposed to be Jane. So it's it's really interesting having that connection and this time around and connecting the dots on that. Yeah, Michael Wincott is more of like a he's more of like the asshole type than Mal is in Serenity. Like yeah. Nathan Fillion is like there's just something about him where it's like he's a lighter energy and like you, oh, you yeah. like him more like Michael Wincott still has some of that same like sarcasm and sort of like the same character bones, like you said, but he's definitely not like the good guy of this story. And then when no. he when he's the first guy on the crew to die, I was like, what? The captain I dies know. first. I was like, I don't remember he, that of all the so people. And so unceremoniously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he just I, I, he falls through a hole and then gets like torn in half. And I'm like, OK, yeah. I, was like, I was like, all right. He was so good up until that point that I mean, I guess maybe like, oh, the captain dies first is like anybody can go. So you kind of like have that going on. But then it's like you still have Ron Perlman. So it's like, OK, he's going to like last as long as possible. And, yes. you know, Winona, of course, he, like yes. he's going to go as long as possible, too. And then they I mean, pick up Ron, another guy Ron- along the way. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did. They found the poor man that was uh, had a, a chest burster inside of him. That's right. They picked <laughs> up two people. I forgot about him. They, yeah. Yeah. So they pick up stragglers. But Ron Perlman is definitely I love him so much in general. And he's definitely one of his character sucks in this, but in a good way. He He yeah. plays an asshole very convincingly. <laughs> he does. I mean, he's definitely one of like the most redeeming things about this film and i mean it's clear that i think both whedon in writing it and uh janae in developing it on screen like understood that like perlman is one of the selling points of the movie right and like you said they had picked up uh purvis who was the one guy who hadn't had the chest burster break out of him at that point but then also DeStefano, the other soldier, Raymond Cruz, mm-hmm. who was in Breaking Bad famously, and I think he was in um, Training Day as well. So you get these two guys who are good actors that have done a lot of stuff since this. And you bring them in like after a couple of guys have been chipped away. So it's it's strange that like you you start with this big crew of it was uh Call, which is known a writer, Johnner, Perlman, uh, Vries, Dominic uh, Pinion, Pinon, Gary Dorton, it was Christie, Elgin was Wincott, Hillard was the pilot. So there's already six of them. Then you add Ripley, yeah. that's seven. And then that's a big cast to already like trim down. And then to just like, oh no, we're going to add two people back so that yeah. we've got even like more characters to more give people. different different angles to this. But I do like Leland Orser. He's good. Um, he's got a good like freak out vibe, which works really well with this. And yes, I want to say it was seven, which was 1995. 
And he's got a scene in that where he's got like a similar like freak out, but his scene where he's like, what's inside of me? And they're just kind of like talking as if he's not even there. And yeah. he keeps asking like, what's inside of me? And they just keep going around the room of like all the different solutions while he's just kind of stuck because the realization that everybody in the room knows that he's disposable except for him. I love that scene. I do too. It's so good. It's so, um, you know, I feel it. Like I would also be that person freaking out and wanting someone to explain to me what the hell is going on. And that poor guy, it just takes forever for them to ex- get to the explanation. Um, and it doesn't end well for him, which is sad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, after they go through everything to like try and get him to the point where it's like, we can't actually save him. It still doesn't end well for him. So it's like, oh man, like you added this character just to have them there for this purpose at the end where you want this like gruesome death scene. And he just happens to be there when his chest burster is going off. So I don't know. I wish they would have saved him in that way, but they were so close. They were so close to getting him into the um, the hyperspace sleep, but they just missed it. (laughs) Just missed it. Since we had just talked about Michael Wincott, I just wanted to bring it up for a second. We see him uh, smoking early on, like they're smoking and drinking. And I'm like, okay, like alcohol makes sense. Ron Perlman like makes his own booze. I get that. And I was like, are cigarettes really a thing still? Because I'm trying to think like this is so far in the future. Is he just like still smoking cigarettes? Well, I guess I guess because they established it in the original film, which was made in the 70s, that everyone mm-hmm. was also still smoking. So yeah, that's true. Even though this is even though this is 200 years after yeah. that, it's still going on. I guess no one no one's quit. Cigarettes um, but have yeah. become even more popular in the future. Yeah. Surprisingly, <laughs> cash, it however, is, is rare. Yeah. Yes, very rare. <laughs> How do you feel about doing trivia right now? Sure. Time for trivia. Let's do it. We're going to try it out for the first time. It's only three questions. Um, Okay. But since we were talking about it, I figured it was one of my trivia questions, so I might as well get to it. So number one, I said, what year does resurrection take place? Oh, God. I'll give you a hint. The first alien takes place in 2122. Okay. So it would have to be 21, 22. So it would have to be 22 something, 22, 10, something like that. I, I'm it's so that, bad at actually remembering the, the dates. 2379. Oh, okay. Thank you. I th- yeah, I know. I was like, I was thinking of it. I was like, do they ever explicitly say it? And I was like, I okay. They, do. they might very early on. I know Ripley says she's like 200 years old basically at some point so i'm like all right this is 200 years after the events of the first film at minimum and we don't know how long there's been in between those other films in terms of their storyline to now as well um but just interesting that i was like okay so it's almost the year 2400 and like cigarettes and whiskey and cash are like still being exchanged uh like as these two crooks make a deal with each other i'm like okay not and there is still there is all there are also still infomercials in this time period mm. because there's a scene where they're in the cafeteria and they're watching like it's legit an infomercial for some <laughs> like knives or something. So I'm like, all right, well, these are still a thing, too, I guess. Yep. Corporations aren't going to let go that easily. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so 
Uh, question number two then was uh, Jean-Pierre Janel directed the film, but can you name one of the other famous directors who turned this project down? And you've got maybe there's oh. about five names on that list. Oh, wow. Okay. Varying um, degrees of fame. Oh, boy. Um, George Miller? Mm, I didn't see him listed, but it's possible. It's I'm I'm just thinking of famous directors, uh, maybe, um, you want to throw, throw Spielberg out there? Is there a Spielberg? <laughs> that would be crazy if they offered this movie to him. Um, but think of, let's say eighties, uh, body horror. Oh, okay. Um, so are we going to therefore have, uh, the OG I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, You'll know it when I say uh, it. Uh, <laughs> I know. Oh, um, uh, I'm I'm totally blanking. You're gonna have to say it. Uh, oh, David Cronenberg. Uh, Cronenberg, thank you. I was like, it was on the tip of my tongue. Cronenberg. Uh, okay. So, so I, I read that they offered this movie to him, and he rejected it. And he, he said, basically, he's like, I don't even make sequels to my own movies. Why would I want to make a sequel to somebody else's? Uh, so I found I found that funny. But the other names that I saw were Danny Boyle, which would have been a oh, very wow. interesting movie. Uh, Peter Jackson, uh, Brian Singer oh. and Paul W.S. Anderson were the, the okay. names that I saw that I was like, OK, these are interesting names to have floated in the conversation for this um i could see peter jackson he fits in with the body horror because of death alive and everything like that would have been yeah. cool i think actually if yeah. he had done that yeah it would have been very cool like practical effects like some of the humor that you see in dead alive as well so he would have been a good fit but i could see like him not wanting to take on the fourth installment of a film yeah. as well because i mean you see what the reputation of this movie is so like all these guys yeah. are like nah i'm gonna avoid that uh, and then the third one, I will say, uh, third and final trivia question for tonight is the ship's name in the first alien was prominent and it was said several mm -hmm. times. And that is the Nostromo. And the pirate vessel here in Resurrection has a name that gets repeated a lot. And that's the Betty. What is the name of the military vessel in this film, what where is the what is the name of the ship that they're actually on during the movie? Uh, oh god, I was gonna say I know the answer for the Betty. I cannot remember the name of the military ship. I no it recollection. Is the Auriga, but I don't remember oh, ever okay. hearing that in the film. So it's like, did they name it and not tell us? Did it was it like the very first sentence in the movie where it's like da 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 the year twenty three seventy nine? Yeah. yeah. I guess it I gotta go been back that. and watch it, but I don't I think, think they said it though. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't think so either. I so I was like, let me just throw this in there, and we'll see if I'm <laughs> the only one that didn't hear it. Um, but thank you for playing along. We'll see if I keep doing that or not. But it was fun to like look for questions that I could turn into interesting trivia questions. Yeah, so yeah. We'll we'll try again uh, in the future. But when so this film. The climax is they're sending this Auriga on autopilot to crash into Earth in order to destroy everything that's on board. Well, they try to, like, get into the escape, uh, into the Betty and escape before that happens. 
And something that I found like just way too funny that I did not expect was the AI system for this ship called Father, whereas in the original mm-hmm. one, it was Mother. This AI is talking about, hey, you've got like 48 minutes till impact, two minutes, and then it gets down to like the final countdown. And it's like three, two, one. Thank you. And it's like, yeah. why, did it, why did it say thank you? It doesn't, it's like, you're just going to crash into earth and say thank you. Yeah. It makes no sense, but it's, it's a great little flourish at the end there to go out. <laughs> I understand like them. I understand the AI being like autonomous and just like going through its protocol to go through the countdown of like, Hey, you've got this much time to impact. I don't understand why it like said, thanks for sending me on a crash course to earth. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, the the scene where Ripley gets to her set of clones, like that's a very emotional moment. It's maybe like one of like two like actual really emotional moments in the film. And it's intense. It is. It's super intense. And I think it's one of the things that always like stuck with me. And the most recent time I watched it before this, I was a little bit older. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, man, this is way more like dark and messed up than I had initially connected the dots on when I was watching this as like a 14 year old. So she goes in there and like, you know, the realization of, hey, like I'm number eight. And here's like all of the other instances of the failed experiments that had to exist in order to produce me and she comes across that final one that's like probably the closest to humanoid at that point and she's just like sitting there in pain saying like kill me kill me and this version of ripley having to come to terms with the reality of like not just seeing a clone of hers like on the table there but to actually like fully realize in that moment sort of the depth of what the military had been doing. Cause like she had been told she was a clone. She had been told that there were other predecessors to her. And so she kind of like knew it, but she hadn't really seen it and she hadn't really felt it. And like, she just goes on this rage moment where someone fortunately has a flamethrower that we haven't seen throughout the whole rest of the film, but they're like, Hey, we've been saving this. We knew that you were going to want to rage out and burn some stuff. So you get that moment from aliens where she's got the flamethrower and she's just kind of going nuts. And that's that's one of those scenes that stuck with me. And I think there's several of those scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think they all still work pretty well, particularly because they're all done with practical effects. Like, had you done yes. those and done it all CGI, like, I think that ages poorly. But to see her walk in there and like they did the whole prosthetics for her on the table and she just like stuck her head through the table. But they like they built the body. It's all animatronic. So really, really impactful. Yeah. The all the the practical effects, um, the 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 molds that they do for the creatures that are like in these preserved glass jar, basically giant glass jars. That scene is seeing all of those up close is one of the coolest parts of the film. And they just did such a fantastic job with all of it. It looks amazing. And that is also, I think, one of the or it might be like the top emotional moment in the film for me. Uh, you know, Sigourney Weaver 
acts her ass off in that scene. And you see so much just on her face without her even really saying anything. You just can feel the pain and the hurt and the anger that she's feeling in that moment. And, you know, she gets to take it out by putting these creatures to rest finally, um, you know, after everything that's been done to them. It's just such a great scene. Yeah, and I think, like, looking back on what we had talked about a little bit earlier about how this story was initially written to be Newt's story. I don't think that scene, like if you just replace the characters and that's Newt, I don't think you get anywhere near the same level of emotional context as you do with Sigourney Weaver playing Ripley in that scene, because it's not just her and her clones. Like this is like Ripley's genetic memory. Plus she has the memory of, uh, her own history with this creature. So I don't think you could get a character that hasn't been through like all three films playing that character to step in and deliver in the way that she does in that moment. And like, it's such a big moment where she's like you said, she's just kind of like letting loose. She's, she's crying. She's, she's, conflicted between like doing what she has to do and doing what she knows needs to be done. And I like, even if another actress can pull off all of those notes, I think you maybe do a disservice to the history of the franchise by having it be anybody else besides her. Yeah. So I'm glad in that way that it didn't end up being another character because that scene has still haunted me (laughs) to this day. And seeing it again, again, I'm still just like, oh, man, this is rough. And I'm glad that they spend like a lot of time, like just having her like go nuts with the flamethrower and really just like lighting that room on fire uh, because it looks great on camera. Number one. Yeah. And number two, like it really connects her back to kind of the last thing we saw of her in Aliens, where she's got the flamethrower and she goes into the belly of the beast and she confronts like the biggest uh, biggest villain at that point that she had. I mean, it's the first time she stumbles upon the queen. She's laying eggs. So it's a nice uh, like parallel between those two films and like very different reasons for her to whip out the flamethrower there. Agreed. From that point, I think the majority of them are still alive because that's like a little bit past halfway. I think they still yeah. have to go through the underwater section yes. at that point. And so... The underwater favorite. Scene, it's awesome. Like it's still good. Like could be just number one. You know that like having to swim any kind of long depth underwater to like get to some opening on the other side in the hopes that you'll get out. That's already scary enough. Then you're gonna oh, throw so a scary. xenomorph in the water. Yes. <laughs> I love uh, it so much. They look so cool underwater, and I really wish I want other films in the franchise to revisit that because they just slide they glide so beautifully in the water and it was like they were made for it and that is definitely one of my favorite set pieces in the entire franchise and it's just so good i love it so much and in in reading about it they this was a tank that uh, i think is on the fox lot and it was one of the only things that they were able to actually like shoot uh, on that lot because I think Titanic and a couple of other big films were filming at the time. So it's like, they didn't have a lot of options, but they built that whole thing. They like filled it up over a couple of days. And it's what I read was that each one of the actors had 
a uh, specific diver that was there for them. And like Winona Ryder had almost drowned as a kid. So when they had to do this scene, she had like a panic attack. So it's oh, like, that okay. That's been so scary. Oh right? my gosh. <laughs> so that, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's already scary enough. And then like you add in some of these other elements. And then in one of the other scenes or in one of the other takes, I guess Ron Perlman had like hit his head underwater and knocked Ooh. himself unconscious. And his uh. di- his diver, for some reason, was like, oh, I'm on bathroom break. So that guy wasn't in the water no. with them when they were filming. But one of the other guys, uh, divers, was there. So he was able to come and get him. Uh, so <laughs> I wow. mean, just like so dangerous to film yeah. this scene. And I think it like you see it on screen and especially when it's um forget the character's name it's hillard uh kim flowers she's the mm-hmm. one who unfortunately like bites the bullet in that scene yeah he's like swimming with two big shotguns on her but like the panic that you see in her like trying to get the guns off trying to like get as much speed as she can because she knows she's last in line and first at the buffet so yeah the panic like in that scene is very palpable and anything where you know, underwater, like drowning is a risk is already terrifying to me. I mean, one of my favorite of those is in uh, The Abyss, which is like a horrifying yes. scene in that movie. Uh, yeah. So like I've been traumatized. I saw The Abyss when I was so young and it's like that stuck with oh, me yeah. so long. So it's like I don't have a lot of those kind of fears. Like I'm not afraid of heights or like afraid of uh like needles or things like that but like fear of drowning for me is very very real and for some reason it's just something very visceral about it knowing that like like your salvation is very close but you just can't Mm -hmm. quite get there is like super shitty for some reason it definitely is Uh, it really is and the only silver lining is i'm hoping that hillard uh drowned before the xenomorphs got to her because that's yeah a really bad way to go but uh and it sucks <laughs> that she had to go out that way it did but it's like that whole set piece is designed because it's like hey we're gonna have obviously this like chase sequence through here and then we're trimming the fat of the cast again because we're starting to approach the end and i think that's like right around the beginning of act three i guess yeah. somewhere in that realm um and they eventually like pop out on the other side, but it looks like they're all going to drown there as well. They pop out into the room that's infested with uh, the little face hugger eggs. And then like, as they start climbing out, that's another big action set as they're climbing the ladder and they're having the shootout as the alien jumps out of the water at them. I love the ladder set piece. That is also so much fun. Um, yeah, that whole, that whole sequence from yeah. the time they enter the underwater kitchen to exiting that room on the top side is great. Yeah, it's great. It's so great. Um, and I especially love, you know, the scene in that component where you have um, the gentleman who is in the wheelchair and they've had to ditch the wheelchair and he has to be on the back of his other uh, um, teammate um, and basically be carried and they have to climb up the ladder together. And then there's the aspect of one of them getting attacked by the xenomorph. And then one of them choosing like, okay, I'm going to have to let go because the xenomorph is dragging me down with him. And it's really sad, but it's, it's, it's so well done. And it's a really great action scene as we're losing more people. Um, but they go out 
like warriors <laughs> like they go out you know so good did you feel like watching it this time recently that christy should have just like fought harder to shake that thing off of his foot before just like committing yes. suicide <laughs> I, yeah he could have he could have gotten that thing off his foot and they both could have climbed to safety i really think he he <laughs> could have so that's disappointing <laughs> i know his face is messed up now because he got the um you know the xenomorph sprayed the acid on which circling back to the set piece that we talked about earlier where um the xenomorphs escape from the prison cell it's like well they could have shot acid the whole time they didn't need to kill their friends <laughs> they just must have not liked that guy that guy mm-hmm. <laughs> wasn't a big that wasn't part of the friend group no they looked they turned and they looked at that one in the cage and they're like are you flirting with this weirdo with the ponytail they're like you're gonna die <laughs> but yeah they have acid spit why did you need to kill your homie yeah. in order to get out of the cage like that yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of those continuity errors in this movie. So I guess if you're like yes. a really like a continuity stickler, you're going to look at that stuff and be like, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, but in watching that, I'm like, that alien is so loosely clung onto his boot at that point, And it's already yeah. dead. Just like it's dead. Kick, kick it, off. it off. Or yeah. I know your like face has an acid burn and maybe it's like burning all the way into your skull. But you're totally alive when you hit the water and they just like, eh, yeah. whatever. Like he's down there. He's dead now. Don't worry about him. We're still climbing. Uh, and they get to the point where the Dr. Ren, of course, pulls the double cross because he's evil yes. and shoots uh call which is winota Ryder in the chest and she falls and then they're kind of stuck in there and they don't know like how they're gonna get out and all of a sudden like winona just shows up on the other side of the door and it's like wait a second if there was another way around that she could have gotten to like why are you guys climbing this shaft full of face huggers another one of those little like uh why yeah strange decision happening like it's one thing to reveal that she survives. It's another thing to do it in that way, where it's like, oh, she fell into the water. She didn't just climb back up the ladder. She found some alternate route that I yes. guess she knew the whole time and didn't tell anybody. It's <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> but yeah, and then the reveal that she is actually an android. Um, and then the history, going into the history of that, explaining, you know, the android's the, the, she is an android made by androids was really interesting um and maybe yeah. something i don't think i fully grasped it as a kid when i was watching it but you know looking at it as an adult it's like oh that's a really interesting angle to go with it yeah well since we're talking about it i was going to say that this film presented a very different look at ripley's relationship with synthetics Whereas like the first one, she's obviously very traumatized with Ash. She holds that against Bishop in the second one. And in this one, like even with her memory, like all of that's wiped clean. And I think Ripley knows fairly early on that Call is not a person because if she can like smell that an alien is inside of this guy who gets the chest burster at the end of the movie, um, she's able to smell that inside of him. I'm sure she can tell that Call is not a real person, but she never at any point decides to bust her cover. She never outs her or anything. So it it was an interesting full circle kind of relationship of Ripley's character on screen finally having an actually like a synergistic relationship with uh, Synthetic, which we hadn't seen until that point i mean like she's on good terms with bishop like at the end but bishop had to like get ripped in half in order for that to happen right (laughs) and we've seen in some of the other instances of the alien uh franchise films as well that the synthetics are always 
either super dangerous or just outright the bad guy. Uh, so it was interesting to see that this particular synthetic character was one who, like you said, was built by synthetics to be a different kind of person. And only like they said, like a very few of them ever like actually got made and got released. And I forgot exactly what she said about some particular thing inside of them. They had to fry it in order to like be free. Yeah. Cause what it was is that they ended up like it, the, it, the program got shut down and there were a few of them that escaped before mm-hmm. I think getting cold basically. Um, so they had to fry their mainframes gotcha. um, so that they wouldn't get caught, I think is what it was. And it reminded me actually a lot of Blade Runner where some yeah. it's like, especially in the Blade Runner comics I've been reading that are from like the last couple of years. There's a lot of that where it's like second, third, fourth, fifth generation synthetics that all have like come from the ones before them. And so it's something that they didn't really explore too much of, but. I found it to be an interesting way to frame the synthetic character to not only not have them be the villain, but not even be presented as a male character in this case where, you know, Ash was the science officer. I don't remember exactly what Bishop's job was. Maybe he was like the pilot or something. He wasn't the pilot either, but I don't remember. I don't know. Bishop was just kind of like there as like the all around assistant guy. But in that film, he also comments to Ripley that, oh, you had a problem with that other particular type of synthetic. Well, he's like a series one, like the series two, like my kind of synthetic. We're never (laughs) going to have that kind of problem. And she's just like, just stay the hell away from me, Bishop. I don't want anything to do with you. And so to see that we've come to the point where now, like this is a synthetic person 200 years down the line, that's been built by other synthetics to the point where, Basically, humanity was like, oh, you can't be making your own people like (laughs) we're going to shut you guys down. And so to see that that kind of character like leaked its way into the script for this and that they had the foresight to actually think of that, I I thought was very interesting and could have been like told a lot differently and maybe a lot more robustly. But, you know, this isn't a two and a half hour, three hour saga. So. But the I agree with all of that. And I also really like the parallel of Call being, um, you know, ashamed of her makers and mm-hmm. and really questioning whether or not she wants to still exist. She it seemed like they were hinting at the fact that she might have tried to kill herself previously. And then the parallel with her and Ripley and Ripley also she didn't ask to be made as this clone um, and brought back into the world. And so the two of them really doubting their existence, doubting their creators, I thought was really interesting um, how they played that out. Yeah, the scene where they sit down in the chapel of all places (laughs) to to plug into the ship's uh, computer, like you see that uh, Call is scared. She's like, I don't want to go in there because it's like that's a type of artificial intelligence existence that like she is afraid of right it's just basically a code that's there to give purpose to like what the ship does it's not its own entity it doesn't like have form it doesn't have purpose and in that same scene i mean it has purpose but it doesn't have like autonomy and in that same scene she's talking to ripley about like how do you go on right like how do you How do you exactly. continue to live? I mean, Ridley's only been, excuse me, Ripley 
my dog's name is Ridley. Ripley has oh. only been alive for what a few days at this point. So yeah. it's like the it's a very heavy existential question to ask uh, you know, someone who's only been alive a couple of days of like, how do you continue to carry on at this point? Like, had this clone been alive for hundreds of years, then maybe that makes sense. But I understand what they're aiming for because she asked her, like, you know, being this abomination, this like creation that you weren't supposed to be it's like it's basically like unholy and they're in the chapel and you know ripley tells her like what choice do i have like yeah you exist because you exist and you just keep going and it's in that moment between the two of them where she's like okay well i'm gonna do like what i can to help achieve the end that we've collectively decided on and she plugs into the mainframe and takes control of father and you know she basically sets up uh why the ship crashes into earth in the first place she just accelerates the descent um but yeah to see like that was something that we never really got out of the other uh, synthetics in the other films we see a lot of it with uh david's character in prometheus we start to understand like some of his motivations and his fears and his ambition and stuff like that so and then they ended up i think it was in covenant there's like the other david where his name's frank or i don't know whatever but there's two yeah. <laughs> there's two fastbender alien or two fastbender uh synthetics in that one and they both have their own motivations and you know they argue a lot in that one so maybe that's why covenant didn't do so well because it's alien but it's really about the synthetics at that point yeah um, but that's a whole different discussion for another time uh <laughs> I want to ask you, though, in terms of the design of, I don't know what I'm going to call it, like the baby alien? The newborn. The newborn is the the official name. Yeah. Okay. The newborn. Like, do you like the newborn? Because I feel like if you're a big time Aliens fan and you Mm -hmm. don't like this movie, I feel that that's probably one of the sticking points is this weird, like fleshy gorilla that comes out. I love that abomination so much. Like the, the the practical effects are really cool. I like it for that reason. And I just think it's so silly. The the whole, you know, they they reveal that the the queen is able to give birth to this new creature, the newborn, because Ripley gave the queen a human reproductive system. Like that's bananas, mm-hmm. first off. And I just can't help but have fun with that. And I like the the creature. I like the fact that they went so far as to have Ripley be a part of birthing new life, this new amalgamation between human and xenomorph. And I just, I have a lot of fun with it. I can't, it, it sounds like a cat at times. Like, how can you not like that? <laughs> <laughs> it makes me out and purr noises. <laughs> it does make some weird, like, baby cooing noises. And I'm like, yeah. okay. Because I remember there was definitely a time where I didn't like it and then it grew on me. And I remember seeing, of all things, it was an image that got released from like the Hubble telescope like a year or so ago. And it's like zoomed in on some galaxy and it looks like the face of that alien. And I thought it was a joke. And I was like, oh, I was like, I get it. It's like we're looking off into the cosmos and this alien is there. And then it was like, no, that's not a joke. That's actually what the image is. And I was like, what? So I'll find that's it. Sh- and I'll, that's crazy. I'll, I'll direct message it to you because it freaked okay. me out when I found out that it actually wasn't a joke. But like when they reveal that moment, there's like, I don't know, Ripley falls into like a weird like pit that's just full of like 
alien parts i don't know very that like sensu- it's very sensual it's it i is. think it's supposed to mimic love making it's like very again plays into the you know um sort of what brad dorf was doing earlier mm-hmm. <laughs> with it has the to alien. be i heard that they wanted to scrap that too and uh it was uh, sigourney weaver is a producer on this and she's like no that stays in so anyway, yeah, she falls into like the weird like alien orgy pit. And then when she comes yeah. out the other side, it's oh, OK. Now we're down here in the depths. And oh, the queen aliens got a big old full womb down here. And she's about to give birth to this thing. And then when it pops out, you know, the first thing it does is rip the queen's head off. And so, you yes. know, like right away, the thing that this thing is very powerful, it's not to be trifled with. And I think that, too, is probably the second part of what was off putting to people that are like really into like the first two alien movies as like yeah. the the Holy Grail is that the queen who was this menace who like had this moment in the second movie, like just a couple movies later, like you're treating her like she's disposable and she gets her head punched off in one shot by this baby. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well the queen's not even like really a threat or really, she's not even there to do anything other than produce this child. But I think in the alien universe, like you see that the xenomorphs just take on the traits of whatever it is that they impregnate and it's constantly moving. So the queen is not necessarily even like the same queen that it would always be. If that makes sense. Like if this is a queen that was birthed out of a dog, it would be like a different type of queen than the one that we've seen in on screen so far. They just happen to use the same like puppetry for the first two because they had to, but in that moment where she like disposes of the queen, she kind of like looks at Ripley like her mother. That whole scene where uh Bediman, the creepy sex scientist, um, yes. he's not he's not even dead. He's down there just to watch it all yes. happen. And <laughs> get him in, sorry. He's a voyeur um, at heart. That is he, what we've discovered. <laughs> yes, he is. I mean, there was something I saw on Twitter too, where it's like uh, more movies should just be uh thinly veiled uh, vehicles for the director's fetishes. And I was just, (laughs) I couldn't help but think of that when I saw this movie. So this guy's just like watching as the, the alien baby gets born and he's telling like Ripley what happened. And I kind of, I guess, just like spaced on that the first like few times I watched it. Like I didn't realize that it was the alien queen like having a second cycle where she produces a womb and then you know gives birth asexually to this thing um so i found it more interesting because they played around with all this science to create a clone of ripley that wasn't just a clone but a clone that like had the pregnant or that had the alien inside her so right, like to get, obvi- the, to get that queen. Yeah. So so there was a lot of DNA mixing, which resulted in the kind of like hybrid creatures that they had gotten to that point. So this queen that they got was not like a pure queen like we saw in two. So it's already a different version of the queen. But then to realize that some of that genetic mixing like went both ways and just sort of like the the arrogance and the hubris of the scientists thinking that like we can just control it because we're scientists and right. we're the military. Like that's something that's at the heart of a lot of, you know, good stories like this as well. So I appreciated it much more this time and sort of like the sunken skull look on its face and its little nubby yes. baby nose. Like it doesn't have <laughs> the same like dub- double hinged mouth as all the other aliens. It's got a more human look to it. And I, you mm-hmm. know, that's the point. 
Um, it's unnerving. It has an almost human face, which is what makes it so creepy. Yeah, it does. And I, I appreciated that much, much more this time around. And then like you get to, of course, they get to the Betty and they're getting ready to escape. And it's like, OK, this thing, it didn't get on. And then, oh, the hatch, yada, yada. You know, there's some reason for it to just like in Aliens, where the queen somehow gets on the ship at the last second when they need to escape. And so you get the final showdown out of that. Um, but oh, my God. I mean, I knew that scene was like terrible, but I like I want to ask your opinion, because in the first one where they blow it out of the airlock, it is what it is mm -hmm. like. They need to survive. It happens in the second one. It's like it's action. So they open the airlock and then like Ripley just has to hang on long enough to get the queen out. And then in this one, it's not quite an airlock, but they're still blowing the alien into space. But. I felt so bad for the newborn. Yes. I felt yes, horrible. Yes. No, because if you think of, it's a baby, it's a baby and it mm -hmm. thinks that Ripley is its mom. And then it all it, it followed her onto the ship because he want it just wants to be with her. Then Ripley betrays him or her. We're not sure on the gender of this child. Um, and you know, it gets him sucked out the air, the window through that tiny little hole the worst way to possibly go and i love that you see there's a shot where ripley um uh you see her say like i'm sorry mm -hmm. to the creature as, it, as it's getting sucked out so she feels conflicted too because she's like this is obviously a creature we don't want to bring to earth but it's also just a baby mm -hmm. yeah like, I watched it late at night last night, too, and I was just like, oh, my God. I was like, I forgot how gnarly that was, because like in the first one, it's like you just open a door, the thing flies into space. In the second one, same thing. You open a door, the thing flies out into space. This thing gets, like, slowly unthreaded like a sweater, and I'm just like, oh, yeah. my God, this is so brutal for this little yes. alien. I was like, I get, like, they can't let it live, but the director's choice to like slowly unravel it like that was just so gruesome, so nasty. Yeah. And it gets sucked down to the point where like, it's just its head and then yeah. it rips the skin off its head. <laughs> so it's just the skull. And then like the individual bone pieces crumble and suck out. And they did that all with practical effects too. Well, not all of it, but they did a lot of it with practical effects. And I heard that they like, they basically had like the soft cast of the skull that was connected by wire so that way they could like deform it and like pop each piece individually until it gets like sucked out the window in that scene. That's but so my, cool. <laughs> my goodness, that was so gnarly that I was just like, I know I've seen this several times. I know this has haunted me. And it's probably one of the reasons I like this movie is because that end sequence is the nastiest of all the alien movies, I yes. think. And that's one of the biggest benefits to this movie is that it does do some of the really like nasty things that maybe some of the other ones didn't do uh, as full throatedly. Yeah, that's definitely true. They, it's it's definitely a scene for the ages. It goes out, they go out hard and um, it's 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 gross, but it's beautiful. It's like the practical effects are just fantastic. Yeah, I just I felt like a lot more conflicted than I feel than I did any of the other times that I watched it. I just like I felt much more for this baby because especially I think probably especially because of the scene where Ripley has that conversation with Call about like 
you know, what do you do? And like the baby, like didn't ask to be born, you yeah, know, it same, just same thing. Exactly. So it's kind of like, I think the thing probably that I like about King Kong and I like about like the original Godzilla is like, these things are monsters that are not made by their own design. They, these right. are man-made monsters that then have to basically get put down because yeah. they're dangerous, even though like they're not inherently like evil beings. And I think that's something probably that really I didn't even connect until right now because I'm a big fan of Godzilla and both in Godzilla, the original and the 1985 version, they're both similar stories of there's no other monster and Godzilla in the first one gets killed in the ocean. And then in this, in the 1985 version, they trick him into walking into a volcano. And when he Aww. falls into the volcano, it's like, you just see him like in pain and dying and the music playing Aww. over the top of it is so sad. So I think that in particular is probably why I connected so strongly with like that moment in this film. Yeah. Same, same type of situation for sure. I think we've come to the point where we go to critics corner and we get to read all of the nasty things that the critics had to say about Alien Resurrection. We always start right. at the bottom. Uh, ooh, and look who's at the bottom. It's none other than Roger Ebert himself. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Roger Ebert for the Chicago Sun-Times gave it a 38 out of 100. I don't know, because he always had a four-star ranking system. So what is that, like one and a half stars? I don't know. That's... Well, I don't know. We're just going to agree that it's a 38 and move on. He says okay. it's a nine days wonder, a geek show designed to win a weekend or two at the box office and then fade from memory. Well, he's not necessarily wrong about how they uh, approached making this movie because they were definitely trying to cash in on what was left of alien fanfare yes. in 1997. There's a reason that there's such a huge gap between that and Prometheus where you know, the, the gap between movies had gone from, what was it, 79, 85, 92, and then 97. So the gap between movies kept shrinking as they were trying to make sure that there was still enough goodwill in the audience to make it profitable. Yeah. And I think this one costs, I think I read 50 million, and it made back like 160. So it did well enough. <laughs> By today's standards, you know, that'd be a fail. But I mean, hey, it made the investors back its money and you get three to one on your return. That's really not that bad at all. Yeah. But and Roger Ebert, Ebert, I have not forgotten about this film. If anything, I've grown more fond of it. So you're wrong at <laughs> that point. Yeah, he wasn't always right. But I mean, I do appreciate that. Like he always typically found something nice to say, even about movies yes. that he didn't care for. And that's something yeah, that I think that. is absent from today's critics. You know, you find a lot of people yeah. that are just like, I don't want to say anything nice. I just want to like dunk on this thing repeatedly. Uh, So let's go. That was a 38. So we'll go to something that's a 50. Um film threat so i don't know how recent this is but it says sigourney get they gave it a 50 they said sigourney gets some good rambo lines but about halfway through the film her alien superpowers go dormant uh yeah that's true she never like does any hand-to-hand -hand combat really with an alien while she's oh, super powered yeah. that's why i said they kind of like forgot they they you're like oh she's got acid blood well she needs to break out of jail that's why she's got acid blood and then they kind of don't use it but 
Never going to see it again. <laughs> yeah, she beats up Ron Perlman in the basketball scene just to let you know that like, oh, wow, she's like fast and strong and she's probably bigger than she was before. Uh, <laughs> but they don't really like lean into that because it's not a superhero movie, right? Like it'd be, right, weird, it'd be weird to have her going around like punching through walls all the time. I mean, but, yeah. it would be cool. It would have been cool if she had gotten into fisticuffs with like a xenomorph. I would have been down for that, but yeah. <laughs> that's not what we got. You make a good point. I would have liked to see that too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was two. So let's go to let's go to Newsweek. And that's David Anson. He says, under the reins of Jean-Pierre of Delicatessen, the alien franchise has lost none of its taste for acid spewing, flesh impaling, entrail dripping gore. And he's right. It has all of those things in spades and probably more of the dripping entrails and impaling and acid spewing. I think there's only one where there's any acid spewing, if I recall. Yeah. So credit to you, David Anson, for having fun with this movie and just acknowledging that's what it's for. And yeah. then we've got, let's see, everything else was a 70. So we'll go with the Globe and Mail from Toronto. And this is Rick Groin. It says, Jeannot manages a terrific pass in an extended underwater sequence. But beyond yes. that, he runs out of ideas as we run out of patience. Oh, no. If that's what you think of this movie, how did you give it a 75 out of 100, Rick? Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a very good point. Being a little generous there. Yeah, I mean, if he I'm, that one, that one underwater scene is fantastic, as we pointed out. So he must have really just thought that was so good that the rest of the movie is just like, even though it's bad, like that one scene's amazing and it's worth the yeah. price of admission. Yeah. Hey, sometimes it only takes one. It just takes the one scene that makes it worth it. <laughs> it does. Okay, Rick, moving on. We got Entertainment Weekly, which gave it an 83, which is surprising. And this is Lisa uh, Schwarzbaum. It says, by rocketing ahead 200 years from the previous film and jiggering the story cleverly with a script by Toy Story co-screenwriter Josh Whedon as late 90s, what's that, wiseacre-ish as Alien 3 was early 90s pretentious to create a Ripley reconstructed through a mix of human and alien DNA. Alien resurrection power kicks the whole definition of the horrifying other into a fresh, deep, exhilaratingly thoughtful, millennium-sensitive direction. So, hey. Yes. Yeah, we, we agree with that, obviously. And that was written yes. December 5th, 1997. So this was like right at the okay. time. Okay, the there we go. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Lisa Schwarzbaum <laughs> of Entertainment Weekly. I'm glad that, you know, I was surprised because there's so many movies that when we get when we get them in line to do the show, I'm like, okay, I just trust that most people when they when they watch a movie, like you have the wherewithal to recognize like, hey, this is a guilty pleasure. Right. And so when I came to this movie and I'm like, oh, like the Metascore is a 63. Like, that's kind of high for something on this show. Like, I mean, it's still like sub seven. I think it's perfectly within the realm of bad movies we love. And I think a lot of people that are big fans of Alien one and two would definitely agree that this is a bad movie. And yes. I know when I when I put up the poster for it and I said, I'm watching this, Donald gave me a thumbs down. <laughs> and I know Donald is not a fan of this at all, uh, but it's all in good fun. So hopefully he listens to this and maybe gives it another chance, but he'll still probably hate it because he loves Alien and Alien. So yeah, 
embrace the fun, Donald. It's just, it's a good time. (laughs) (laughs) It is like, just don't think about it too much. Like put it on while you're making dinner and then just like pay attention, like in the big action moments and just forget about the rest of it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I either, you know, didn't cover or didn't give you the chance to talk about yet? No, I think, um, we touched on all the cool pe- all the cool parts that I was also thinking of, you know, that everything that makes this movie great, I think we discussed in in depth. Um, and I'm just really glad I got to talk uh, with someone who also enjoys this movie, even though it's bad, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, cause there's some movies, like when we did the mass last week, it had been so long since I've seen us. Like, was it did, like, was I misremembering it? Did I only enjoy it because I was young? And that wasn't the case. And this is a movie where I've seen it at least in adulthood. And I had crossed over from like, okay, like I understand that this is maybe not the best movie in the franchise. I get that. But it also like the bar is really high. Okay. Like, yeah, (laughs) alien is amazing and aliens is amazing. So like if you're just okay, or if you're just like, hey, that was good. That's still like a pretty big gap between what this movie is and what the next one is. But I can still just acknowledge that this is an enjoyable, guilty pleasure and not have to like worry about it. So I think that's kind of the biggest flaw with this movie is that it just it's never going to reach the level of the two best movies in the franchise. No. And that's okay. I think that's part of it too is just accepting that. Yeah. And being like that's fine. It doesn't have to be the first two. Those are obviously amazing in their own things. Um and this is just what it is, which is good popcorn fun. That's a good point and a friend of mine who had done the Demolition Man episode with me, we kind of talked about uh, just movies in general and a sequel that doesn't get the kind of credit that its predecessor does is RoboCop 2. And mm-hmm. I'm like, OK, yeah, because RoboCop 2 is never going to be RoboCop. But like RoboCop gets dismembered in that movie. You've got a kid who is a drug lord and his buddy it, like he shoots drugs into his neck and then becomes just like a brain inside of a robot that does drugs. I'm like, RoboCop 2 is still pretty awesome. It's where, yeah. <laughs> where it's when you get to RoboCop 3 and there's like the twin ninjas that move really slowly that happen to be a threat for some reason. Like RoboCop's got a gun. Why are these slow moving robo ninjas a problem? And then he gets a jetpack and it's like so by the time you get to three, you really like cashed in all of the the interesting things you can do with RoboCop at that point. Um, yeah, but two is in that similar place of like, it's never going to be one. Yeah. And that's, you know, finding joy. I think it's really important to remember to find joy in your favorite franchises. You're not going to love every installment and that's okay. Like it might, it just might not be for you. Maybe someone else really loves it. And I think that's great when you know, people are able to realize that and embrace the things they love and not worry so much about the stuff that they don't, because there's no need to be, there's especially no need to be as hateful towards this film in particular as so many people are. A lot of people are really mean towards this movie and I don't think it deserves it. No, I don't think so either. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you just have to answer this question. Like, did you have a good time watching it? And 
the answer for this one is still yes. Like it didn't yeah. change at all. I think I probably enjoyed it the most this time since when I first saw it. When I first saw it, it's like, That's okay, awesome. it's it's an alien sequel. Like, you know, it's got all the the pieces of an alien movie. Like, I don't really have to pay attention because it's number four. And I just enjoyed the ride. And then by the time I saw this one, I started actually like thinking of the things that I liked and didn't like. Like, okay, yeah, it's got a lot of continuity errors, but I think its strengths are really strong. And it doesn't, the the weaknesses for me at least aren't enough to detract from the things that I feel are the strengths. So I still, I still had a really good time watching it. And I'm glad that uh, you brought this to my attention and I'm glad we took the time to sit down and, you know, stand up for this movie. And one of the questions that I always ask at the end is for people, since I already mentioned RoboCop 2, for people that maybe haven't seen Alien Resurrection, what is a good comparable movie that you would recommend? Or if you have seen Alien Resurrection and you want more of that, what's mm -hmm. that movie? Oh, um, I the first thing that came to mind is the Dread film from with Carl Urban. Oh, OK. From um, it has sort of that same gritty sci fi futuristic trapped in one location energy um, that I think this would vibe really well with. Um, and I mean, otherwise, just watch the other alien movies. <laughs> Go for Prometheus <laughs> or, you know. <laughs> Any of those uh, other ones. Dread is one that I've had recommended to me a lot and I've never watched because oh, it's the very original good. Judge Dread is definitely in the bad movies we love category. And it's like, this is a movie where Armand DeSante and Sylvester Stallone are clones. They're supposed to, they're supposed to be the same person, but yeah. I, it's like, why just cast Stallone in two roles or just say that they're brothers? Like, why did you go with them being clones? That's the worst possible <laughs> angle you could take with that. So I just have like a soft spot for how bad the original Judge Dredd is, but the fact mm -hmm. that it's still fun like this. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of people tell me to give the second one a chance. Uh, so I'm going to have to do that at some point. I recommend. It's a good time. I don't know if you're a gamer or not, but Alien Isolation, the video game, is a great alien story. It's one of the ones yes. I feel like it should be a movie. And it should have been a movie probably before we got to Prometheus and Covenant. Agreed. Agreed. I am a gamer. I actually work for PlayStation. Oh, wow. Um, so I just got cool. a PlayStation 5. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I played Alien Isolation. It's such a fun game. It's scary. Uh, it's it's one thing to be watching a film and you're afraid that xenomorphs could jump out at you at any time. But it's another thing to be controlling the narrative as you go and just are afraid that a xenomorph is going to pop out of any corner. Uh, it's definitely terrifying, but it's really, really good. And I agree that it is also a story that should be adapted uh, as a movie because it works so well and it's so good. Yeah. And I just like because we've gotten so far away from Ripley at this point, you know, I mean, this was 1997 and then she hasn't been in the franchise for so long that like doing a movie where it's I believe it's her daughter is the main character yes. and it's after the events of one because it's like or yeah. it's in between one and two while like Ripley is drifting in space and her daughter is looking for her. Um, Correct. Yeah. So it's like maybe the window has closed, but and I know that some people don't like the mechanics of like having to hide, but I feel like it treats the source material with respect because in the first movie, it's like, that's really all you can do. Like you can't fight back 
And then you see, like, as you get enough weaponry behind you, like, you can maybe fight back a little bit, but you have to take it in stride. And I loved the kind of survival horror nature of Alien Isolation. Agreed. Yeah. So if you love it, the franchise it, and you have the ability to play that, both of us, it seems, would highly recommend that. Yes, 100%. We've reached the point where I'm going to ask you, do you have any projects you're working on that you want to let anybody know about? I mean, a lot of people I talk to are podcasters and creatives and stuff like that. Do you have anything like that going on? I don't. I'm, I just really love talking about movies and I love having conversations on Twitter. So you can find me at Twitter, um, Lauren S. Wilkins, and just talk with me about movies. And if anyone needs podcast guests, I'm always happy to uh, <laughs> discuss in, in, in a, uh, sort of a malign, any maligned films out there that I really love. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's not always easy to just like set aside two hours and talk about some random film from 1997 that a lot of people didn't care for, but that's what we're here to do. So thank you so much. Have a good night. If there's an opportunity where you know that there's another bad movie that you love and you want to come back and be a guest again, please let me know. And uh, well, I, I know sure. I have some other yes. people that I got to schedule. Uh, coming up but it was really fun talking to you i'm glad that we were able to share so much that we liked about this movie um i i guarantee that there's other people out there like us that are able to just enjoy the fun of this one so please let us know so thank you again uh please have a good night i look forward to talking to you in the future thank you have a great night my thanks once again to Lauren for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about a movie that I thought nobody else liked in Alien Resurrection. You can find her talking film on Twitter at Lauren S. Wilkins. It's spelled just like it sounds, but I'll put that up in the show notes for you just in case. And thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you do, please consider leaving a rating and telling a friend about it. I'd love to hear from you, so if you have a bad movie you love and or would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me at nickatthescheiss.com or at badmovieswelove with a L-U-V on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, take care, be well, stay safe, and have fun however you get your movies.